Please do turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel and to chapter 17. We've been considering this prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call it the great high priestly prayer. It's great because there is no other prayer like it. It's the high priestly prayer because it's spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is now our great high priest. He's done away with the priesthood. There is now to be no priest. We have no need for a priest, for we have the Lord Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Well, my subject this morning is God known, his presence, God known and unknown. We'll look at verses 24 and 25 and God willing 26. Here the Lord Jesus is praying. When we consider the words of the Lord Jesus, of course, this is holy ground. It's a conversation between God the Son and God the Father. How can we possibly look into these words, these intimate, holy words? If I was to speak to my Father, that might be just an ordinary conversation. But the Father speaks to his Son, and the Son speaks to the Father. There is a conversation going on. And so we look into these things with great care. We've noted through the verses of this prayer five truths at least. The first is there is a unity between God the Father and God the Son. Not just when Christ came to earth, but as it says in verse 5, that unity was before the world was. Christ is the eternal Son of God. And it's repeated here in verse 24. Before the foundation of the world, Christ the Son had a unity with the Father. We don't believe what the cults say, that Christ was created he was just a man, just a prophet, as Islam teaches. No, John 17, Christ says, I was before the foundation of the world, and I am now. And the love, verse 24, that Christ knew, the love of the Father to himself was before the foundation of the world. First truth, the unity. God the Father, God the Son. Secondly, we notice, why did Christ come? Many people go wrong. He came to be a good man. He came to just be an example. He came to show social justice to rid the world of all its faults and errors. No, Christ came. He came to declare, to give us the truth. Christ came to reveal 
to publish, to communicate, to show us the Father's love. That's what it's going to show us here in verse 25. Thirdly, why did Christ come? Who did he come for? He came for his people. He came for the elect, those that were chosen before the foundation of the world. It says, for them, those that the Father had given to me, for them. Verse 24, I will that they also, who does he refer to? Whom thou hast given me. It's so very clear throughout this chapter. You cannot read it any other way. He is praying for his own, his disciples, his followers, and everyone that would believe on him. Those that would have eternal life. He's praying for some here today who don't yet know eternal life. They've not exercised faith in Christ. Christ is praying for you if you would put your trust in him. And so he prays for his people, his elect, those that the Father gave to the Son. Verse 24, whom thou hast given me. What's his life for? It's for you. If you will trust in him, in his finished saving work. That's why he came. Not just to be a good man. He was that. He was the perfect man. The only perfect man. But he came for them. He came for those that the Father gave. Every single one of them. How many? I don't know. But it's a vast number. Millions? I think billions. Because it's my personal conviction that Christ has died for all those that were never born. And that's a vast number. Do you know I read the other day? There are now in this country more children each year that die before they're born than actually have conception and birth. If that's true and we don't know, what a shocking truth. More children are conceived than are actually born. And if that's so, my conviction, the truth of the word of God, God's love is for them who never breathed on their own. And Christ died for them. Well, that's the third truth. The unity of the Father and the Son. Christ came to make the Father known. His concern was for his people that they would have eternal life. That's the fourth thing. What's his great mission? It's throughout this prayer. His mission is that they might have eternal life. Verse 3. This is eternal life, that they might know thee, God. How do we know God? Only through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that we might know that God is the only true God, verse 3, and that Jesus Christ, who he has sent, has glorified him. That's the fourth thing. But I think there's a fifth great lesson here. There is an enormous gulf between those who've put their trust in Christ and those who are called the world, cosmos, those who are just part of the vast population who've not been called out, or if they have been called out, they've not responded to that call, they've not come, they've not heard the words of invitation, they've not heard Christ's words, come unto me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. They're just part of the vast population, the swimming masses, swimming along. No, they're not swimming against the current. They're going with the current, with the tide, the world, the world. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, you know, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, personally, intimately, know him as Saviour, know him as Lord, you are, as John records it in Christ's prayer, you are in the world. It sounds a horrible expression, but it's so very vivid. You are either in Christ or you're in the world. There is no halfway house. There's no fence to sit on. There's no hedging your bets. You're either in the world or you're in the only salvation, the only boat, Christ. There was but one boat for the salvation of Noah and his family. There wasn't little boats and big ships. There was the ark. The one ark, you are either in or out. And there was a time, and there will be a time, when the door will be shut. And if you're outside of Christ, it will be too late. You will be in the world and you'll die in your sin. And this prayer is teaching, fifthly, that there is a great gulf. You're either in the world, in your sin, outside of Christ, or you're in Christ. And to be in Christ is to be safe, to be secure, to be rescued, to be delivered, to be taken out of this perishing world. That's what this world is. One day, it will be done away with. There will be no more sin. No more sickness, no more hospital, no more war, no more conflict, no more affliction. As I'm going to try to show you, all those that know Christ will have his presence forevermore. If you don't know him, you won't even have the tokens. 
the tokens, the emblems, the signs of God's goodness. You will be outside of Christ and away from him forever and ever. And it will be a torment that will not end. Well, that's what John 17 teaches. The unity of the Father and the Son. Christ coming to make the Father known. Christ coming for his people. Christ coming with a burden for eternal life and salvation and that great gulf. And through these verses we see, therefore, four things that he's concerned about. He teaches us, verse 11, that there would be a preservation of God's people in this vain and passing world. He desires and he prays for you and me that we would be kept, kept. I am no more in the world. Keep through thine own name those that thou hast given me. He prays for you and for me. If you're a Christian this morning, if you know affliction, if you know a besetting sin, if you have an illness, if you have pain, if you have struggles, if you have sorrow, Christ is praying for you in your trial this morning. He says, keep, protect, uphold. What a joy that is to know that Christ is praying for me. He prays that Satan would not have me. He prays that I would be upheld and that I would know great help in the midst of affliction. Oh, that's the first great truth for preservation. There's a second thing. We've considered it. I'm recapping. Verse 17, he prays, secondly, that you would be sanctified. And it's not a coincidence that in the midst of your trials, in the midst of the difficulties of this world, that Christ says, sanctify them. How? Through thy truth. But secondly, also, you will be sanctified through the great problems in your life. If you know affliction this morning, you can say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 71, it is good for me that I am afflicted. Do you know the person who dives deepest in affliction? Spurgeon said, the deepest diving in the sea of affliction, you will find the greatest pearls. And isn't that true? When we have pain and affliction and difficulty, we have the greatest pearls. We come up from the despair. We come up from the depths. And in our hands, we have pearls. And we can say, God was with me. God heard me. God gave me a truth. He gave me a verse. He gave me his presence. And I knew that God was with me in the midst of affliction. This is a thanksgiving service. Why are we mentioning affliction? Because it's the very real existence 
an experience. This is not the life where we're always flying on cloud nine. We each know affliction. And you know especially believers. And can I say this? Those who are at the front of the battle have the battle at the white-hot heat. Sometimes it's missionaries and pastors that will know the greatest affliction. I don't say that because that's my experience at all. But every believer that has faith in Christ and seeking to walk closest with Christ and who goes into the deepest waters, you will need to be sanctified and you will be through the sanctification of affliction that's the second thing preservation sanctification verse 21 we thought about this last week unity that's what we need unity in the midst of affliction in the church of jesus christ in the family circle we need to know unity unity with christ unity with one another and that's what he's prayed for one 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 he doesn't want us to be apart. He doesn't want problems to come between us. He doesn't want us to have difficulties in the church. Something comes between us. I think this. No! I think that. We have to resolve those things. We have to bring them under submission. We have to find the right course. We have to listen, understand care for one another, see if someone has more experience and wisdom, somebody who can see perspective, see it from every angle, not just my angle, not just what, what works for me. And so we strive, and Christ has prayed for unity. That's what we look for. We don't let the foxes come between us, the little foxes that eat the vines. No. We look to Christ's prayer for oneness, unity. We only have that if we have peace with Christ. If you have an argument this morning, you're telling me something. You're telling me you're not right with Christ. If you have an argument with a brother, a sister, a problem with a husband, a wife, you get right with Christ. Let him deal first with your heart. Let him tell you your sin. And then you can be one with each other. Well, there's a fourth thing, and that's our subject if we have time this morning. And it's this. Christ is going to leave his disciples. These are nearly his final words, his final prayer. They won't have his comforting presence. Oh, how much the disciples relied upon seeing, sight. But the Christian life is not by sight. It's by faith. We live by faith, not by sight. And soon they won't see him anymore. Oh, he'll come and in the resurrected form, he'll give them great cheer. But he's going to leave them. And there's to be a fourth 
truth that's taught. We've had five great truths and then four what I might call great themes that run through this chapter. The fourth is this, that we would participate with Christ and in Christ in his glory and that we would have an abiding presence of Christ with us, not physically. Oh no, you won't have visions and dreams and you won't have somebody sat next to you. It won't be Christ. He comes in and through his word. And yes, sometimes that can even be a feeling, an experience, a knowledge of the presence of God. But we put the word of God much higher than our feelings, because our feelings fool us so often. And sometimes they're absent. And if I rely on feelings, sometimes I'll be cold. And I'll say, God is far from me. No, I rely on his word, on his promises, on his truth. Some people put far too much emphasis on the felt presence of God. Yes, we do know that, and it's a great joy. We had a prayer meeting last Monday. I let you into a secret. The deacons communicated with each other afterwards and said, that was a prayer meeting, and we knew the presence of God. It wasn't some tingling it was because people led us in prayer into the presence of God. And we knew it, and we felt it, and we experienced it. And the people that prayed, if I remember rightly, none of them were officers. The people that prayed led us into the presence of God. And that was a blessing. That's the presence of God when it's felt based upon the truth of God and praying and reading his word and knowing his truth. That's what he's going to teach them here in these verses. His presence. Verse 24. Let's look at it briefly. Here's his final prayer request. At the end of this prayer, Sometimes what we put at the beginning is most important. Sometimes what's at the end. This is what Christ prays for. Father, or oh, that tender term, I will. My desire is that they, my people also, they wouldn't just know unity, and sanctification and preservation, but they would know a participation in the presence of Christ. I'm going to leave them. I won't be here much longer. They won't be able to see me. How will they fare without the comforting presence of Christ? Well, Christ says in John 17, you can turn, John chapter 10 and verse 17, turn to it. These are valuable words, his own words. John chapter 10, verse 17. 
Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life. Love comes from obedience in this case. That I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Christ is going to lay down his life. No one will take it from him. He's going to do it because it's the Father's will. He's going to keep the covenant of grace between the Father and the Son. And that will please the Father. Because whenever we do the Father's will, it pleases him. And as he lays down his life, he has this additional request. He says, verse 24, go back to John 17. I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, will be with me. But hang on a minute. He's about to leave them. They won't see him much longer. But he says that he wants to be with them and he wants them to be with him. His final prayer request is that we would know the presence of God. We sang it last night. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. It's what we need, isn't it? As I go through life and I have this challenge and this problem and this illness and this opportunity and this blessing, what do I need most of all? Oh, I need pardon for sin. I need a peace that carries on from day to day, not that's up and down, not that has a trial and I go to pieces. I don't carry on with my duty. No, I have a peace that upholds me and I need God's presence, the presence of God to cheer, to encourage, to guide. Strength for today, I need that. And bright hope for tomorrow, yes, I look forward to tomorrow with confidence and with hope. Blessings, all mine, with 10,000 beside. These great old hymns, they're saturated with truth. Not some ditty that just repeats itself 27 times in the same hymn. One, yes, maybe a good thought. Look at that. Pardon, peace, presence, to cheer and to guide, strength, hope. This is the Christian life. So the Lord prays for presence so that we're not fooled by feelings. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. He says, I'm not sure, for I am in a strait betwixt two, Philippians 1.23, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. 
Paul says, I don't know what to do. I know that if I die, I will be with my Saviour. But Paul, Christ's prayer has been answered. You don't yet need to be with him physically because you can have his presence spiritually. And Paul says, I'm in a strait, I don't know what's better. To live life with the presence of God spiritually or to have his physical presence. They're much of a muchness. I don't know whether to die or to live. What did the Lord Jesus say to the thief on the cross? As he's about to die, just hours later, he said to him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Do you know that's what really matters? Do you know the presence today of Christ in your life? If you know his presence, you can deal with everything. It won't be you that deals with it, it will be him. Him giving you strength, him giving you peace, him giving you comfort. The great problem, secondly, his presence, firstly, secondly. Look here, in verse 25, there's a problem. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. I know God's presence in my life because he's come to me and he lives within me. He abides. He's taken up residence. That's the experience of a Christian. But if you don't know Christ, you have a great problem. Verse 25. God is unknown to you. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. How do we know the Father? Through the Son. If you know me, you know the Father, says Christ. Oh, these people doubted. These disciples said, you're going? You can't leave us. Oh no, if you know me, Christ Jesus, you already know the Father. No man, John 1, 14, no man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. If you know Christ, you know the Father. If you don't know Christ, you don't know God, you don't have his presence in your life. He is unknown, he is distant, he's far from you. He's like the God on Mars Hill to the unknown God. If you don't know Christ, God is like a God you don't even know the name of. You don't know him personally. You don't know him through his Son. If you've got your hymn books with you this morning, turn to hymn number 102. The hymn writer takes up this theme. We're not going to sing this hymn this morning, but let me just read verses 1 and 5. Hymn 102. The theme is taken up. 
102 and verse 1. All my hope on God is founded. He doth still my trust renew. Me through change and chance he guideth. Only good and only true. And here's the phrase. God unknown. He alone calls my heart to be his own. God unknown. If you don't know him, he's unknown to you. But he calls, and he calls, and he keeps on calling. He calls my heart to be his own. And when you come to him, you will know him. And you will know that all your hope is founded upon him. Verse 5, still from man to God eternal, sacrifice of praise be done. High above all praises praising for the gift of Christ his Son. Christ doth call one and all. The universal call of Christ to whoever will hear him. Ye who follow shall not fall. Christ is calling. He's calling people who want to know God. At the moment they're unknown to him. Or rather, you don't know him. He's the God that's unknown but as he calls, if you listen, if you hear him, if you go to him, if you pray to him, if you say, make yourself known to me in a very real, personal way, he will do so today. God is unknown to many because you've not come to him and you've not called Upon him. So we've thought of God's presence, we've thought of God unknown, and then we have God known, the indwelling of the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of every believer. Verse 26 I have declared unto them thy name. That's how we know God, because Christ has come, He's shown us God. He's declared his person, his presence. He's declared his wonderful acts and he will declare it. Notice that's in the future tense. Christ has declared him. Christ will declare him on the cross and he will declare it to every sinner who would have him. And what is the manifestation of the presence of God? Let's look at the final phrase in closing. That the love, the love wherewith thou hast loved me. Just think for a minute. The love of the Father to the Son. Oh, that's an incomprehensible truth. That's one of those truths that we look into and we can't see very much the Father's love for his Son. Think of him. Love at his birth. 
love in his teenage years to make him to grow. Love as he opens his ministry and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son, my only son, in whom I am very pleased. And then he starts his ministry and he manifests such love such compassion. He looks upon Jerusalem and he says, I would have gathered you, but you would not. The Father's love is declared to the Son and he shows it to the people and they wouldn't have him. A love for the loveless. And there on Calvary, with his arms outstretched wide, and the people mock and scoff and scorn and hurl abuse. And there's his blood flowing down from Calvary. Blood and love flowing down. And the people would not have him. And the final breath will be breathed the breath of one who loves his people to the utmost, to the final breath, until he's taken all the punishment for his people. What love, what love. He has declared it. He will declare it. He'll declare it in his word. He'll declare it from every pulpit that's faithfully declaring his word. He'll declare it in the lives of every believer that shows a kind word, a good deed. Everybody that works for the cause of Christ, that will manifest and show. Every missionary that gives their life on the mission field. Some even cut and displayed in public because they love Christ and in their death Christ's love will be declared. Oh, just something of that love that the Father had for the Son. Wherewith thou hast loved me and that my love may be in them. And that's how I, Christ, will be in them. How do we know the presence of Christ? How do we know it? Is it a fuzzy feeling? Oh, I don't feel love today. I don't feel it. I'm not going to go to the prayer meeting. I'm not going to go to worship. I'm feeling cold. I'm feeling down. No, that's when you need to come. That's when you need to be with the Lord's people that love you that have a duty to care for you and you need to tell them your need and you need to ask for it to be prayed in the prayer meeting and then you know Christ's love in you, in your life. Do you know that this morning? God's presence or is God unknown to you? Well, for everyone that's in Christ, you know that love, and you know Christ by faith, the name of the Lord.
is a strong tower. Psalm, rather Proverbs 18 verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, into a name, and is safe. Do you want to be safe this week, secure? Run to the Lord. Run to him. Then you'll know the Father's love. Let me close with an illustration. Have you ever been to one of those country houses? Or maybe just an ordinary house. And you read a plaque and it says this. King Henry VIII slept for one night in this bed. Well, you don't really know whether he did or not. They try to leave the bed sheets the same and you know what happens. Do you know Christ lives? in the life of every believer, not in a bed for one night where people make a fuss of it for 300 years to come, but he abides in every believer's life. And that's his final prayer, that he prays that you would know his presence today and tomorrow and this week. People make such a fuss over one night of a monarch in a bed, would you not make the biggest fuss of all and take every care and attention for the King of Kings that lives not in a bed, but in your life from the day that you came to trust in him as your Lord and as your Saviour. Read this prayer. Read it again and again. Let its truth soak in to your life. Let's see.